0: Them loudly. Amen. Let's all stand. <coughs> As we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, let's remember this service, uh, but let's really remember our faith promise service during the second service. Uh, Scott and uh, Valerie Stevens are going to be with us uh, presenting their burden, their mission, uh, and they're going to be directing us to give uh, sacrificially to give in faith, to the work of missions. Amen. This is a, I will continue to say it, and my my pastor would say that uh, I'm sanctified proud of the giving of this church. Amen. I think that's a good way to put it. I am so very proud uh, to tell people how giving the members of this congregation is. Amen. Amen. Uh, It is a blessing. It is a blessing to this district. It's a blessing to the the work of God worldwide that the work of God is advanced because you give. Amen. We want to continue doing that. We have been able to... (coughs) Clear our throats. But also, we've been able to uh, do some very give very generously to the missionaries that we've hosted here, uh, that we've been blessed to, to come and, and minister to us. Uh, we've been able to support different works. Uh, it's, it's, it's so wonderful to, to not only understand that this is what Jesus is doing way over here, Jesus isn't just operating in our lives. Uh, Jesus isn't just even operating in, in the state of Wisconsin. He's operating across the country. He's operating across the world. And his burden is for this world. Amen. And if we are to become Christ like, if we are to enter into that burden that he carries, we need to expand our vision as well. Uh, we need a worldwide burden. For the church of God. Amen. And I believe that this church has exactly that. And I am so thankful for that. So let's pray for our service. Uh, uh, Brother Stevens is going to be doing our faith promise service. Let's pray for that. Let's pray that God would minister in this service according to our needs. Amen. As always, this is His service. We are His people. This is His church body. Amen. And we want to, as always, ever... See, His will done. Not ours, not mine. His will be done. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. We are so thankful for You. We are so thankful for Your so great salvation. For this opportunity You've afforded us this morning to enter into Your presence. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Another day to serve You. Another day to demonstrate our love and our faithfulness to You. Hallelujah, Jesus our thankfulness for the great and wondrous things that You've done in our lives. We pray, Lord Jesus, for these services that You administer bountifully, wondrously, miraculously in this place. I pray, Lord Jesus, that during the, the as these services continue, that we would draw nigh unto You. That our faith and our confidence and our trust would be placed in You. That we would hear from the Lord this morning. That we would hear Your voice. That we would receive Your direction and that we would have a heart to obey. Above all else, Lord Jesus, that Your mighty name would be glorified in this place. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Brother Bob, would you pass those uh, books out at this time? Oh, he already has. Well, there it is. <laughs> No. I know, I know, I know. We'll have justice later. <laughs> Amen. Well, good. Good, that's good. Alright, so, uh, our youth class will not be dismissed today. Uh, they will be partaking of the bread of affliction with all of you this morning. Amen. Review of last week uh, was justice. Justice is a biblical principle. Justice is impossible. It, it's a, a non-issue. It does not exist unless God exists, because God is justice, just as He is love, He is mercy, He is compassion, He is righteous and holy. All of these characteristics of God are manifest in our uh, our individual lives and indeed our society. We understand even if you. Even if you profess to be a staunch atheist, you do accept the fact that there is some sense of justice. There is some sense of love. There is some sense of, uh, of right and wrong. But without God, that's ridiculous. We all know that it exists, but nobody else can explain why it exists. Because without God, it just can't. So what does God require of us? sacrifices in and of themselves are not sufficient. We understand that God teaches us through the the prophet Samuel that obedience is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. So we know first and foremost, God requires of us obedience, uh, not so much disobedience and then continual sacrifice. But, even when the sacrifice is presented properly and in its proper place and time, God is not impressed with that if on the inside I remain unchanged. Repentance, folks, is more than forgiveness. We understand that. But when we approach a holy and a righteous God, we need to understand that as we approach and as we offer our sacrifices of praise, as we offer worship, That in and of itself doesn't mean a whole lot if in here is full of corruption and rebellion. The people worship Me with their lips, Jesus said, but their hearts are far from Me. As Jesus cleansed the temple, we saw that uh, Jesus is in this instance and always calling us to a place of prayer. As relating to justice, we need to understand what is justice. If left to our own devices, we will define justice ourselves. And 99 times out of 100, that usually ends up being revenge. I don't want justice. I want revenge. But if we have a proper idea of justice, if we have Jesus' understanding, His perspective of justice then we'll proceed with that understanding. We want justice to be manifest in the world. Not vengeance. Not justice for me. But justice overall. When we approach someone who is less fortunate than us, when we approach someone who is in the throes of addiction or bondage, we need to have the understanding that that used to be me. We can't thumb our nose at them. We can't look down on them. Because, except by the grace of God, that would still be me. Jesus delivered me from that. Jesus saved me from that. That's the only reason I don't struggle with that anymore. The deliverance I received from Jesus Christ, they need the same deliverance. We used to be them. We used to be where they were at. We're not now by the grace and mercy and power of God. So when we approach them, when we, when we seek to minister to those needs, we can do so from a position of compassion and mercy, not condemnation and judgment. Amen. Daily devotions. Uh, day one. Rather than focus on communicating the deep truths of Scripture to someone, Maybe simply trying to love them enough to minister to their needs would be sufficient. Amen. And we understand that uh, in a lot, of, a lot of cases, this is true. We need to minister to the immediate need. I always use the example of uh, bringing someone into the emergency room with a, a sucking chest wound. They got a gunshot wound and they're, they got frothing blood coming out of their chest. Well, through the course of events, you realize that the man has high blood pressure. He has a little bit of cholesterol problem. Probably will need to be dealt with at some point. But now is not the time to deal with that. Now we've got to worry about the sucking chest wound. That's the immediate need. Once we take care of that, then maybe we can start worrying about the man's lifestyle choices. And conversely, when, we, when we're ministering to someone, they have some immediate needs that that need to be taken care of right now. They have pain in their body that they can hardly focus right now because of the pain. They got a situation in their family or at work that's that's so consuming them. They're, they're, they can't sleep. They can't eat. And I can try to, to minister the gospel. I can try to to give them a Bible study. And I hope you understand where I'm coming from with this, people just aren't always ready to receive that. They're not in a position where they can receive that. But if I'll lend a sympathetic ear, a soldier to cry on, someone available to them when they they need something, folks, that goes a long way. And when those needs are taken care of, they're going to be very willing to listen. To the Gospel, demonstrating Jesus, showing them his love and compassion, rather than trying to quote john three sixteen to them,'ll work miracles. You can tell them about the love of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus, they do know you, so you show them they know me, I should show them oh Jesus loves you, who's Jesus? then let me show you how much He loves you. Amen. What if they don't decide to serve Jesus? What if this approach doesn't usher in a massive revival? As always, we're going to put that in God's hands, aren't we? We need to be faithful to the things that we can do. We can't fill them with the Holy Ghost. We can't lift the veil from off of their hearts so that they can see truth. But what we can do is we can present it, not just teaching it, but demonstrating it, showing it, being Jesus to them. We can love them no matter what. Day two, although sacrifices alone are not enough, God still requires them of His people. Psalm 51.17 states, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God thou wilt not despise. Amen. When we offer to God those things that are broken and destroyed and worthless, He will exchange them for us and give us things that have everlasting value. What a sweet gig that is. That's a sweet deal, folks. We think these things are worth an awful lot, though, don't we? We think the things in our old lives those, those are really important. Those really matter. Those, are, those, are, those have value. That's why sometimes we're so hesitant to give them up. But if we will just simply surrender them to Jesus, because folks, when we do get a, 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 an eternal perspective, when we do get the mind of Jesus, we begin to understand that these things are truly without value. They have no value whatsoever. God is willing to take them and in return give us something that has eternal value. What an awesome thing. Day three. Humility is not belittling yourself, but putting others' needs before your own while resisting the temptation of showing everyone how humble you are. This is uh, kind of a thing on YouTube. I've seen this in several places, several channels. They'll go to like downtown LA, and and uh, just walk up to someone, give them a hundred bucks, and they got a guy filming everything. It's a pretty sweet situation. It's uh, you know it's they're doing a good thing, but for what reason though? They get a lot of clicks, they get a lot of likes on those those videos, they get a whole lot more than a hundred bucks. Tell you that much. And everybody knows now just what a humanitarian they are. Folks, we serve people because Jesus created them in His image. Jesus loves them. He loves them enough to die for them. And Jesus wants them to be free just as much as He wants you and I to be free. That's why we minister to people, that's why we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the needs of others, the cares and concerns of others, so that Jesus can work in their lives just as potently as He's worked in mine. Amen. Day four, Jesus demonstrated by cleansing the temple that He takes His house seriously. He takes it seriously, folks. Where is His house today? Obviously not here. Yeah, we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. He takes his house seriously, folks. Is God's temple clean and pleasing to him today? Amen. Day five. Caiaphas' actions by moving the bazaar to the court of the Gentiles demonstrated that the Gentiles were not valued, they weren't even wanted. But Jesus' actions demonstrated that God did indeed value them. And that the law of God supersedes everybody. Everybody is subject to the law of God, including Caiaphas, including Annas, including the Romans, including you and I. We are all subject to the law of God. And Jesus values everybody. Everybody is welcome into the kingdom of God. Amen. Our lesson today comes from the, uh, our scripture text, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36, we read this. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, speaking of Jesus, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meat. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet... Would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering, hearing his thoughts, said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with Him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And He said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Amen. So this month we're going to be looking at a, uh, several of the parables Jesus taught. Jesus did teach in parables often. It is stated, and I believe it to be true, that the more you understand a topic the easier it is to explain to someone in simplistic terms. It will be easy to explain complex topics if you truly have a mastery of the topic yourself. You don't have to use big fancy words. You don't have to uh, go into a bunch of complex situations. You can explain them very easily and very simply. Jesus was a master at that. He explained very complex spiritual issues and topics using simple terms like wheat, breaking up the fallow ground, things of that nature. Parables build a bridge from the known to the unknown. And isn't that what teaching has always been about? You build on what the student knows, and you bring them to a place that they didn't know before. They learn something new. Similar to the Old Testament type and shadow. God has been doing this actually for a very long time. Using physical examples to teach spiritual truths. We see that all through the Old Testament. When someone would come and and war against the nation of Israel. That was a physical battle. But we don't experience those things today. The the enemies of God are not human beings. But they're spirits. Teaching us that that our warfare is is not carnal, but spiritual. Amen. And there's, there's tons of those that we find in the Old Testament. Jesus desires for us to understand Him. His character, His law, His will for our lives. And as complex of an issue as some of them might be, He will explain them to us very easily and very simply. Amen. IQ will never be a factor here. A small child can understand everything that Jesus needs them to understand. Amen. A very small child can understand everything they need to know to serve Jesus at that po- at that point in their time in their lives. God opens the eyes of the simple and closes the eyes of the brilliant and learned, but it's a condition of the heart. If I approach Jesus seeking wisdom from him, seeking to understand. His ways and His methods and His law. I will understand. God will give me understanding. He will give me revelation. But if I approach Jesus with a closed mind and a closed heart, seeking to dispute and to fight and to argue, my eyes will continue to remain closed. I will not understand. This woman with the alabaster box, this whole situation is an excellent representation of the fallen human condition. We understand the Bible teaches us that there is none that doeth good, no, not one. There are no good people, there are nice people, there are polite people, but there are no good people. There is one that is good, and it's God. That's the only person that's good. We can act good. We can do good things for a time. We can discipline ourselves to be polite and nice. But again, that's something that we can force ourselves to do. What we can't do is change who we are. And our actions at some point or another will always conform to who we are. When people hear the truth of Jesus Christ, when people are confronted with this contradiction of their worldview and everything they thought was right, and they see truth as we see in Scripture, they're going to do one of two things. And this is simplistic, but just bear with me. They have one of two choices. They can bend the knee, or they can walk away. it's not that simplistic, and it doesn't happen instantaneously, generally. But, those are the two options. Either someone is going to see the truth of Scripture and say, this is truth. I need to conform to this. And they go ahead and do so. Or, they reject truth. And they stick to their old way of thinking. One might say, well, yeah, but what if they get... An overwhelming amount of evidence. What if they get an overwhelming amount of facts to back up the truth of Scripture? Well, that's assuming that people make decisions based on facts. And sometimes that's true. It's true when it doesn't really matter to you. I heard the example, I think we were talking about this a little bit. The example that uh I we're having a conversation about going out to get something to eat. We're going to go to Burger King. Cuz Burger King is better than McDonald's. That's a biblical truth. <laughs> no it's not. It's not. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about and we're yeah, the Whoppers are on sale today for a buck ninety nine. The other person's like, No, they're not. They're three fifty. Now we got two truth statements here, don't we? And they're contradicting each other. They can't both be true. Maybe they're both wrong, but they can't both be right. So we start arguing. No 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 no, I saw it. It's a buck ninety nine. So what's what's the logical solution here? We'll go down and we'll check the price, yeah. We'll check the price. The facts are it's three fifty. It says right there on the marquee. I'm right, or I'm wrong, you're right. Now am I gonna keep arguing with that? Probably not, because I really don't care. Okay, yeah, three fifty. I was wrong. Sorry. But there are other situations that I am much more vested in. I'm much more committed to. There is no God. There is no spiritual aspect to existence. It's just what I can touch and smell and taste. That's all that exists. I'm much more deeply committed to that. So when I see evidence, I see a miracle. Someone raised from the dead. My belief can accommodate that. I can absorb that into my belief system. No problem. Here's how. They're called rescuing devices. Well, yep, he did raise from the dead. I can't deny that. But there's got to be some medical explanation. And as science progresses, we'll figure out how that happened. We just don't know right now. No problem. I can move on. Easy peasy. The facts don't always matter, folks. Not to people. Because they don't always base their decisions on facts. Let's consider Simon here for a moment. He knew that Jesus raised a widow's dead son back to life. He's heard about the miracles surrounding Jesus' ministry. He knows there are supernatural things going on in his ministry. He also knows that only God can do those things. No man can do those works except the Lord be with him. Except God be with him. So how does he reconcile that? The logical conclusion is, Jesus is God. That's the logical conclusion. He's doing miracles. Only God can do miracles. Ergo, Jesus is God. It's called a syllogism. It fits perfectly. But that's not the conclusion he arrives at, is it? He's not sure. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He's brought him here in part to find out. How about Lazarus and the rich man? Luke 16:27 to 31 states this, He said, I pray thee therefore, Father, this is Lazarus speaking from Sheol, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Seems a little flippant, right? but it's not he said nay father abraham but if one went to them unto them from the dead they will repent they see someone raised from the dead they'll they'll change their lives around he said unto him if they hear not moses and the prophets neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead amen i've heard a story about a, a man who believed he was dead i don't know if i've mentioned this here or not but Forgive me if I have. He believed he was dead. He was seeing a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist was going through these different arguments, trying to demonstrate, well, well, this fact, this fact, you believe this about dead men? Okay, well, this is, this is not true with you. And nothing was working. So he finally said, okay, does a dead man bleed? The guy's like, no, dead men don't bleed. So he pricks his finger with a, a needle, Blood came out. Say, There you see. If dead men don't bleed and you're bleeding, then you're not dead. But belief systems can accommodate all kinds of facts. He just said, huh, I guess dead men do bleed. (laughs) No problem. We can absorb that fact and move on just fine. Amen. The difference between Simon and the woman. There were some differences between these two that I want to I focus on just a little bit. One was their spiritual condition. Simon was, according to the law, more righteous than the woman. We can't deny that. He was a man of God. A Pharisee. The woman was, according to Jesus, however, more thankful than Simon. Simon's life, if you look at the two lives, Simon's life was pretty good. He was well respected. He had a great place in their society. He was looked up to. What man wouldn't want that? He was successful. He was doing good. He had a lot to be thankful for. No evidence of being thankful. None. Our society today, folks, is a very thankless society. They're owed everything. And the best you can hope for is that they don't Spew it back in your face. The best you can hope for is that they just walk away and don't say anything after you've given everything to them. Amen. But folks, the more thankful we are, the more blessed we're going to be. This woman was in a miserable condition. But she was remembering where she used to be. She was remembering where she was before Jesus came onto the scene. She was remembering. Now, I've tried to figure out once and for all whether this is Mary Magdalene they're talking about or not. There seems to be some uh, people argue that. So I don't know if it's Mary Magdalene or not. If it is, she was delivered from demonic possession. We do know she was a harlot. That's a hard life, folks. I don't care what way you slice it. That's a hard life. They may make it look glamorous. And I guess a few of them do. But folks in here, they're being destroyed every day. That destroys someone on the inside. Just selling your body for money. There's nothing glamorous. There's nothing good about that. The woman was focused on her own wretchedness and her need for forgiveness. And she was so thankful that she received it. She was still so thankful to this One who had come into her life and fixed everything. Fixed it. Just took care of it. Simon was focused on the woman's sins. And completely exempted himself. Did Simon have sin in his life? Of course he did. Of course he did. They were both sinners before God. So why was the woman forgiven? And Simon not. Jesus tells a story about two people praying. One's praying in the marketplace. There in the center where everyone can see him. Thank God I'm not a sinner. Thank God I'm not this and that. Thank God I'm not a a dirty, rotten sinner like this publican over here. And the publican, he's just in a corner. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the one Jesus responds to. Jesus responds to a thankful heart. A heart filled with worship and praise. What has Jesus done for us that's worthy of thanksgiving? Folks, you've got to ask that, or if you don't know the answer to that, please come and see me after service and we'll talk. I will explain that to you. Let me bring it down a little bit closer. See, And this is where it's helpful to understand where it is we come from. Where Jesus brought me from. Where was I when Jesus found me? I remember where I was when Jesus found me. Do you? Most everyone does. Keep remembering that. Don't dwell in it. Don't Don't continue to beat yourself up for where you were at. Because God has delivered us from that. He saved us from that. But at the same time, don't forget where He brought you from. Don't ever cease remembering, this is who I was when Jesus found me. And the reason for that is simply this. That's a memorial in our lives to the goodness and the power of God. That's who I was when Jesus found me. This is who I am today because of Jesus in my life. Everything we are, folks, everything that we've become or haven't become is by the grace and mercy of God. It's not my power and authority, it's not my intellect, it's not my skill set that brought me to this place. It's God. And all I have to do, all I have to do to reground me, if I do get tempted to get a little bit heady or high minded, all I have to do is go back here. That's all I have to do. And I'm like, oh, that's right, that's right. Okay, we're good again. That's it. Jesus did everything for me. How thankful ought I be. For what Jesus has done for me. What should I be willing to do for this one who has done everything for me? What ought I be willing to, to sacrifice? Give up? It's so hard. It's so difficult. I've got to do all of this stuff. That's crazy, right? That's crazy that we come to church as as much as we do. Let me tell you what's really crazy. I know a guy. He's a king. He stepped down off of his throne. He took off his robes of glory. He put on rags. He lived like I live. And at the end of it all, he was unjustly murdered because of me. He he sat there willingly. He could have, he could have came off that cross any time he wanted. He could have called legions of angels to avenge this injustice. He didn't do any of that. And he did it for me. He did it for all of you. But He did it for me. So when He comes and He asks something of me, what should my response be? (sighs) I don't know right now. Uh, Right now? That much? Today? Really? That's not very thankful. That's not very appreciative of what He did for me. No, rather, when He comes and He asks something of me, I need to be very happy to do it. I need to be very glad to give Him everything He asks for. Everything, without question. Yes, sir. Yes, Lord Jesus. Absolutely, I'm delighted to do that. I'm delighted to have an opportunity to demonstrate my thankfulness to you. Amen. None of us does that perfectly, unfortunately, but that ought to be the desires of our hearts that we delight ourselves in this to demonstrate our thanksgiving to God for the great things He's done for us. Another difference was their reaction to Jesus. Simon seemed curious, but short with Jesus. He was seeking information. Who is this guy really? What's this guy about? What's his motives? What's his agenda? Why are you here? The woman, though, she was all in. Demonstrating with every ounce of her strength, her love for what Jesus had done for her. Do you think that she thought that she would be welcome in that place? Do you think for one second she was just going to, oh, hey, it's the harlot. Come on in. You think she was expecting that kind of a reception? She knew what they were going to do. She knew what kind of reception she was going to get. She was there anyway. She went into where Jesus was anyway. Why the stark contrasted reactions? Why do some people fall at, at Jesus' feet at, at, a, at an altar and weep and repent while others stand in the back and mock and condemn? Criticize. Same service, same presence of God, same message, same everything. But one person responds one way, one person responds entirely different way. There were two thieves on the cross. One said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the other, all he could do is mock and ridicule. I don't know if this is the case. This is, this is what I come up with. Simon knew he didn't need a Savior. He knew he didn't need a physician. He was good. He was righteous. He was the man of God. The woman knew that she did need a Savior. She knew who she was in the presence of God. She didn't have any illusions. She had a clear picture. And Jesus loved her anyway. Jesus accepted her anyway. Jesus had done nothing for Simon. Jesus had done everything for this woman. These two individuals represent two beliefs, maybe doctrines about humanity. Simon represents the man is basically good theory of human morality. Mankind is good. We decide to serve Jesus on our own when the facts are sufficient to do so. We do need a Savior, but our sin isn't a part of our nature, it's just what we do. I just stop doing it, We're good to go. We're basically good. The basic goodness of mankind. The woman represents the total depravity of man theory of human morality. Mankind is inherently evil through and through. Every part of us is thoroughly corrupt. We need a Savior not simply because of what we've done, but because of who we are. And in this parable, we can see both doctrines carried out to its logical conclusion. Amen. Romans three ten through eighteen says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Who is the Apostle referring to here? The Philistines? The Edomites? Human beings? I'm going to suck in a bunch of these things out. To make a point, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come sore to the glory of God. Mark 10.18, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Colossians 3.5 and 6, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Ephesians 2 and 3, Among whom also we had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, which, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Psalm 51 and 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. 1 Corinthians 2:14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto Him. Neither can He know them because they are spiritually discerned. Romans 8, 7 and 8 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are are in the flesh cannot please God. Folks, we need a very good understanding. We've talked about this before. We need a very good understanding of who we are. This is who we are, folks. We are not basically good creatures. We are totally and completely and hopelessly depraved unless someone delivers us from that. We can, through force of of mind and, and discipline, make ourselves act good for a time. We can be polite and nice, but eventually our nature will win out. If our nature be not changed, then we remain as we were, depraved. Our sin nature, that's who we come into the world as. That's why we so desperately need a Savior. We're not basically good, and we just need a bump in the right direction. We are hopelessly, hopelessly depraved, hopelessly corrupt, and there is nothing that we can do about it ourselves. I've made a big deal about free moral agency. But, folks, without God, we don't even have a choice. Without God, the only choice we have is to serve our master. That might be the flesh, that might be the enemy, you know, whatever it is, we're going to serve that. Thank God, Jesus came and gave me another option. He gave me another choice. But we've got to understand here, my place in this isn't very secure. My place in this isn't... I'm not not coming here from a position of strength, folks. I have nothing to offer God. He has everything to offer me. When he comes and he presents that choice to me, he unrolls that covenant and he asks me to sign. Yes or no? That's the choice I get to make. But without God, folks, I don't even have that option. I don't have a choice. I can't choose to be good. I can't choose to be righteous, to be holy, to be Christ-like. I need God to do that in me. Now, what I can choose to do is submit myself to God. What I can choose, because He gave me the option. And that's the only reason I can choose that. He gave me the option. He's given me the ability, the desire to serve Him. And don't forget that either. I didn't just wake up one day, start working things out all on my own, and decide, well, I need to to find God. Mm -mm. God worked that out in me. God put that desire in my heart. He led me every step of the way to a place of repentance. I have nothing to boast of. Nothing to brag about. Jesus did everything. Everything. He did everything. Every step of the way it was Him. And it's still Him. Every step of the way. There is in me that is in my flesh no good thing. There is something good in here. The Holy Ghost. When Jesus took up residence and declared me to be the temple of God, there's something good in there but not not of myself. If we don't truly understand that, if we don't truly understand who we were when we came to God, where we were at, hopelessly, desperately corrupt and broken and depraved, without hope in this world, we don't understand what a miracle salvation truly is. We don't get it. We can start to think You got a pretty good deal with me, and there are some people i I could almost see them saying it, and the reason is they have so much talent, they have so much ability they have i mean God could do so much through this individual as if that mattered <coughs> We're born sinners. We're born in bondage to sin and utterly incapable of doing anything about it. We are born utterly, thoroughly, fundamentally depraved through and through. And until Jesus came and gave us an option, that was it, folks. That's where we were going to stay. This woman had been completely delivered from a sinful condition, freed from its bondage. And you could tell because she loved much. I believe her response came from the understanding of who she was before Jesus and who she is now because of Jesus. When we have that same understanding, church, this is who I was before Jesus came into my life. This is who I am now because of what Jesus has done for me. We're going to love Him much. We're going to be so very thankful for what he's done in our lives. Simon had not been affected by Jesus at all. I doubt he's even a prophet. He doesn't even know that this woman is a sinner. He was affected by Jesus maybe a little bit on an intellectual level. Who's this guy? What's his agenda? What's he here for? That kind of stuff. I believe Simon's lack of understanding came from his response to the presence of Jesus. People respond in very different ways. When confronted with truth, when confronted with Jesus Christ, they respond all kinds of ways. When I was a new convert, I invited one of my friends to church and during the worship service, he got into the aisle and he started running, but straight for the door. And he went out the door and he kept running. His car was out in the parking lot, but he was running down the street. He finally came back and got in his car and left. I was like, you know, this is like my fourth or fifth church service. I didn't know if this was normal or not. I had no idea what was normal in this place, <laughs> but people respond differently to the presence of God. Some people get angry. Some people get angry when they feel the presence of God matthew ten thirty four through thirty six says "Think not that I am come to send peace on earth." I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Do you think preaching against people's very nature is going to be divisive? You bet it is. You bet it is. And if you're worried about offending people, I mean, I'm not saying be stupid about it, don't cram it down people's throat. Say it in love. But folks, say it. People will hate this doctrine. The world hated Him. Why is that? John 7, 7. The world cannot hate you, but it, me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. And when you shine a great big spotlight on all the maggots and the cockroaches that are squirming around underneath that old oak stump, they don't like it much. Those spirits, they start to get riled up. The spirits of man start to get riled up too. People reject the doctrine of total depravity. Why? I don't have time to get into it now. People don't want to think this of themselves. People want to think, I'm a good person. Most people want to believe that about themselves. I pay my taxes. I love my spouse. Love my kids. have a good job. I go to work on time. Pay my bills. Obey the law. I'm a good person. I even volunteer down at the homeless shelter. Okay? That's stuff that you do. And even the stuff that we do, folks, even this good stuff that we do, comes from a heart of rebellion. It comes from a nature who, at its core, hates God and wants to overthrow Him. That's our nature, folks. You can act one way. People can act any way they want. I can fake being an extrovert for a time. I know what to do. But at the end of the day, I'm shot. I'm drained. I'm done. I can't do that forever. I wonder if Brother DeMuth could act like an introvert for a day. (laughs) No. (laughs) Just posing a question. (laughs) We can act like anything we want to act like, given enough motivation. But that doesn't change who I am. It will never change who I am. Only God can do that. Only God can transform me into something that is pleasing to Him. Not something that does pleasing things to Him, but someone that is pleasing to Him. Okay, There's a difference there. Another reason people don't want to accept this is it grates against human experience because there are good people in the world. They do good things. It doesn't say they can't do good. It, it says we can't ever be good, okay? Uh, and it requires a radical solution. The dog returning to his vomit, we read about in Proverbs, that works both ways. Our regenerated nature sees the work of the flesh like this, like a dog returning to a, a pile of vomit, but our fallen nature sees God's law and character the same exact way, like a pile of vomit. We've got to get that understanding how desperately our old nature hates the law of God. How much in rebellion we were before Christ came into our lives. We understand that. We understand what a miracle salvation is. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. I so I am so thankful. I am so worshipful for all the great things You've done in my life. Thank You for finding me. Thank You for loving me. Thank You for delivering me, for calling me when I was a long ways off. Thank You, Jesus, for saving my soul, for cleaning me, for restoring me. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would, as we move forward in the service and in our lives, continue to be thankful for the great things that You've done, Help us to see, help us to understand just how far you've brought us. Just what a condition we were in when you found us. What a miracle salvation is. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that you would move mightily in the remainder of our service, that you would work miraculously, supernaturally, according to your perfect will and according to our desperate need. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your kind attention. Uh, We'll be back at a quarter till for worship.